Alrighty, this brings us to our discussion point for the day. And we're doing quite well. <laughs> Man, I might actually have 35 minutes to do this. Eh? Yeah, I might. Anyway, so, you know, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about resilience on the part of, of Christians. We started off with reference to Queen Elizabeth II and we had a look at how her life had demonstrated great resilience, but that her capacity for resilience and what she had done throughout her very long time as monarch was because of her faith. And as I mentioned, so many commentators sort of listed off all the wonderful qualities of Queen Elizabeth and kind of added, oh, and by the way, she was a woman of faith. And it was interesting that as we got closer and closer to the funeral, the by the way kind of dropped out of the commentaries. But there was always still this and. So she was all these wonderful things and she was a woman of faith. But the point I made, of course, was that no, there was no end. It was because. It was because she was a woman of faith, not and she was a woman of faith. Last week, we talked about resilience, particularly from a biblical perspective. Uh, we defined resilience as the quality of being able to break through all the life-altering challenges you face and move toward your destiny. Resilience is your responsibility to tragedy, crisis, disappointment, abuse, sickness, accident, temptation, and all the other bad things that happen to you. And... Uh, a lot of bad things happen to a lot of people. Um, let me tell you, I talked to some people while we were away and um, I really struggled to sleep on Thursday night. And I listened to a podcast as well about abuse in the church. Um, and of course, you know, you know it's there. But the stories I heard, and I, I, the sources I believe are quite reliable, they were harrowing. And as a church, as, as the body of Christ on earth, man, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. What we have to do is get ourselves out of the equation. The Bible calls it dying to self. We've got to die to self. Um, and I was really, really challenged about what I teach on resilience because it is so, so easy to preach. It is so easy to preach. It's much, much more difficult to sit down with somebody who's been abused and tell them they need to be resilient. It's much, much more difficult. It's hard to sit with people who say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because their experience should never have been like that. But I do think it's important that we talk about resilience 
because too few Christians have built resilience, too few Christians practice resilience. Because we live in a world where it is fashionable to be victims. There's a whole industry based on victimhood, and we see it in the social media all the time. Victimhood is used to cancel all the time. The Bible tells us something different. The Bible tells us we are more than conquerors. Resilience is the biblical norm, as I suggested last week. In Philippians 3, verses 10 to 14, we're exhorted, press on, keep going, regardless of the situation. We're to overcome hardship and temptation, Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. We're to persevere despite trials, James 1, 2 to 3, and verse 12. Along with those exhortations, there's reassurance in the Word of God as well. Philippians 4.13 assures us that we can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens us. Proverbs 24, 16. And this, as I said last time, was one of my favourite scriptures. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. And then another verse, which I think is worth memorising. Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. In fact, I think I gave you as homework last week the whole of Romans chapter 8. It is a brilliant chapter on resilience. But verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God or love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So ultimately, our refuge is in him. Whatever our circumstances, ultimately our refuge is in him and in the knowledge that he loves us and there is nothing about us, there is nothing in our experience, there is nothing in our environment that can ever, ever, ever separate us from his love. No matter how we feel, no matter what anybody does to us, we can never be separated from his love. Even our sin can't separate him, separate us from his love. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with our sin and God no longer sees us as sinners, but he sees us as his Righteousness. 
in Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And that was where we finished last time. And I, I, I promised that this week I would uh, focus on five aspects of being a resilient Christian. So I headed this up, how a resilient Christian behaves. Now, before I go through the list, they're not necessarily in order of importance. And the list is not necessarily exhaustive either. All right. You may be able to think of other things that you can add, but I would suggest that these are essential to being a resilient Christian. The other thing is you can't pick and choose the ones you like and ignore the rest. right? Because if you're not doing any one of these, they will undermine all the others. And you know what? None of us are perfect. We don't practice these perfectly. We don't practice these consistently. But we do need to work on them. So here we go. The first is that, I, and I use the word I, because this is as much about me and for me as it is for you. And I think you should write these down and stick them on your fridge. And every time you go to the fridge, and if you're like me, you go a few times a day, you can read them. I trust God. Three simple little words, but difficult in practice. Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Few things to note here. There's a word in there that says all. How much of your heart? All. all. Trust in Him with everything. With everything. With all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This is not to say don't engage your brain, right? It's not saying don't use what God gave you between your head. But don't rely on that. You need to know God's heart. And sometimes God's heart may not seem like wisdom to you. But lean not on your own understanding. Trust in Him. He might be taking you to a new job. He might be taking you to a new location. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. Trust in Him with all your heart. I, I remember when Jeanette and I made the decision that I give up full-time paid employment. I'd been employed, I'd never been unemployed in my life. Since I left school, I've been in full-time paid employment every day. No day, I was never unemployed. But in 2019, I started to feel I needed to be a better pastor. I probably need to be even better, judging by the empty seats. Um, what? No. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted to do this job better. Yeah. Now, one of the problems with working for somebody else 
was that I couldn't meet with people at times that were convenient for them. And that really sat on me heavily. Ultimately, Jeanette and I decided to set aside a weekend and just pray about this. And this was one of those times when we agreed that we would pray independently for a weekend and then we'd come back and just share with one another what we believe God was saying. And we believed at the end of that weekend that God was saying it is time to give up full-time paid employment and trust me for your sustenance. Not trust that every fortnight there'd be a nice deposit in my bank account. And God has been very, very faithful. I won't say that I've had to work, haven't had to work hard, I have. But God has been very, very faithful. And we haven't run out of money. I had to sell some shares a few weeks ago, but I bought those shares at $88 each. And when I sold them, the price was $294 each. They've gone down a bit since, but so is just about everything else in the market. God is very, very good. It's not always easy to trust in God. And sometimes we have to trust him in little baby steps and trust him with little things. In 1989, we spent a year on what they call a sabbatical in, in the university world. And uh, I'd been sick, I'd had mental illness. We had no money when we left New Zealand because we'd spent it all. We left New Zealand with $45 cash. And God looked after us for a full year. It's just amazing. I've shared this story with you before, I know, but once we were, we were at, uh, I think it was Paddington Station in London, and we just got talking to an African guy. It turned out he was studying medicine in, in, um, in Moscow. This was just before the Berlin Wall came down. And uh, he was trying to get back home, but British Rail wouldn't let him on a train. He was going to get the train and go through the tunnel and all that sort of jazz, but they wouldn't because he had too much luggage, and they said, you've got to check it in, and to check it in, you've got to give us 24 hours notice. So he was stuck at the station with no money. And God just said, give him everything that's in your wallet. So I did. So we had nothing. We, had, we didn't have our train tickets, so we got our train. We were staying in a holiday camp. You know those British holiday camps? It was about 80 miles northeast of London. And uh, off we went. What we didn't know was uh, we, we got off the train and the buses were no longer running because it was too late at night. It was about midnight by then. The buses had stopped running. We had to walk. Now, it was a fair way, and our kids were five and three at the time. So I had Lauren sitting on my shoulders with her head on top of mine, and she was asleep, and poor old Ainsley was being dragged along, along by, by Jeanette. She was, they were good kids. They were great kids while we were overseas. Anyway, because <laughs> in England, you never see kids. They don't like children. They take their dogs on public transport, but not their kids. <laughs> <laughs> we came through Glasgow Airport and the, 
the Bloomin' Customs people looked at me and said, what are these two children doing? And I said, oh, they're our kids. They just, like, hang around with us. <laughs> we got into a bit of trouble. And, of course, this Bloomin' person, this was a woman. She was, I don't know what was going on in her life. She wasn't happy. Anyway, they made us go and sit in this. I mean, what do you think a five-year-old and three-year-old would be doing with us? Like, come on. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, we got stuck in this room and they started opening up all our suitcases and everything. And her boss came out and said, what's going on here? <laughs> when he found out, he said, don't be silly. Close up our suitcases and let us go. <laughs> anyway. But, um, so we got off the train. No, no buses, no money. So we had to walk. Now, part of that walk was through a pretty dangerous area in town where there were gangs and all that sort of thing. Thought, well, Lord, we've got no choice. We're just trusting in you. So off we go. Suddenly, out of nowhere, comes our friend Peter. He stops his car and he says, do you guys need a lift? I said, oh, Peter, do we ever? We get in the car and he says, well, I was just visiting a friend. I fell asleep. I just woke up and I felt I needed to drive home. <laughs> Picked us up and took us home. God is good. God is good. But we, we did what God said. Open your wallet and give that fella everything you got, which wasn't much. And we just did it because we made that decision. We trusted in him. We've got a lot of stories like that we can tell. And, and look, we've had lots of practice over a long period of time now to trust God. Second, I diligently study his word. You know, I've said to you before, the one thing you can never outsource, you can't outsource it to your spouse, you can't outsource it to your friends, you can't outsource it to your pastors, that is studying his word. You've got to do it for yourself because you never get personal revelation and a deep understanding if you don't do it for yourself. In fact, you learn very little by listening to somebody. Very, very little. You've got to take what you hear and meditate on it. You've got to reflect on it. You've got to ask yourselves questions like, how does this line up with what I already know? How does this line up with the experience I've had to date? And make up your mind about it with an open Bible too, I would suggest. You see, because learning is actually about changing something, right? If, if you listen to me Sunday by Sunday and you don't ever reflect on it, you don't ever check up the Bible verses in your own Bible. You don't ever pray about it and ask God to give you revelation, to anoint the word. Guess what? You won't learn anything because you will never change. If there's no change, there's no learning. Because learning is actually about change. It's at least changing your thinking. Changing your knowledge, changing your words, changing your behaviours. That's what learning involves. So you've got to diligently 
Study his word. This is a passage you've heard many times, no doubt. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's all about learning. For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, good works are not just, you know, doing charitable acts and things like that. Good works include things like being in healthy relationships. <coughs> right? Being in a, a, a good relationship with God, with family, with people in the workplace. Good works is not just the stuff you do, the good things you do for other people. It's not just giving to a charity or anything like that. Good, they are good works, but good works include basically everything you do as a Christian. That's why you need to study the word. Number three, I pray fervently and boldly. I pray fervently and boldly. Romans 8, 26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Many people would say that's a reference to praying in tongues. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't know what to pray for, just pray in tongues. Because the Holy Spirit knows. Yes, that's right. The Holy Spirit knows. If you're moved by someone's Testimony as I have been over the last few days in these cases, they're very negative testimonies. Go pray in tongues. Because yes. the Holy Spirit knows how. That's right. I don't know how to change that situation. But the Holy Spirit knows all about it. Allow yourself yes. to pray in tongues. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, this is Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So go boldly. Go boldly. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, I was just chatting with some people while we were away and I said, and they were really angry about stuff. And I said, so have you told God how angry you are about all this? No. <laughs> no. Well, why not? It's not going to topple him from the throne. That's right. If you've got something to gripe about, gripe about it. I know, I, 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 I can remember times when I've been in my study, this, was, this is not fairly recently, I had a pretty good time recently, but this was when we were living in Toowoomba, and, and things were going pretty tough at that time, and I used to hold my Bible up, I'd be on my knees in my study, and I'd hold my Bible up and I'd say, God, you tell me in your word my experience should be different. I held it up to him and said, look, look, this is what you say. This is what I got. 
And he was okay. He must have been okay about that. Because I'm doing all right now. And he didn't smack me around the head with a lump of 4B2. <laughs> Whatever that is in centimetres. He never did that. You know what? Just as often as you praise God, it's quite okay to grumble as well. And you probably get a more sympathetic response from him than a lot of other people. But go boldly. Go boldly. He is your heavenly father. He is okay. He's okay. Be bold. Be fervent. You know, my wife, she's an intercessor. Jeanette's an intercessor. There was a period she was doing a lot of intercession when we were up in Toowoomba. You know, sometimes the capillaries in her cheeks would actually burst. Her prayer was so fervent and deep. She'd come home from an intercession meeting and, and all these capillaries, they'd be burst. That's fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Be fervent. Be bold in prayer. Listen, you know that little prayer, dear Lord, thank you for the sunshine. I mean, that's great. <laughs> but that ain't bold and ain't fervent. You want to change the world. I don't know about you, but I've got no intention of just surviving until the rapture. Because I want to take a lot of people with me. Amen. <clears throat> you know. But I won't if I'm not a fervent and bold prayer. Number four, I praise and worship him anyway, regardless of circumstances. I praise him. What does it say? In Habakkuk 3, verses 17 to 19, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the Lord of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. See, no matter what, I'm still going to praise him. No matter what. You need to settle that now. Before times get tough. You need to settle that now. My response is always going to be, I'm going to praise him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Rejoice. How often? Always. Any exceptions? No way. Right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. See, never give up. In everything, give thanks. In what? In everything. I'll tell you one reason why you can give thanks. Not because God has caused it to happen, but because God will ultimately use it for your good. Amen. It's also in Romans chapter 8. Right? No matter how tough it is, you see, God will not waste your experience. 
He won't waste it. I'm not for one moment saying he causes all the bad stuff. I don't believe he does. But he doesn't waste your experience. Psalms 42 and 43. I love these psalms. These are great psalms to go to if you're feeling a bit down in the dumps. Because when David wrote those, he was feeling a bit down in the dumps. He wasn't going through too good a time. But the, the, I'm just going to quote from verse uh, Psalm 42, verse 5, but it, the exact same thing is said in, in Psalm 43. He asks himself a question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You see, when times are tough, or when you feel down in the dumps, put your hope in him and make a determined effort to praise him anyway. Hope in God. And he's talking to his soul, right? His mind, his emotions. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him. And that means I shall still praise him. It doesn't mean I'll praise him sometime in the future. It means I will still praise him for the help of his countenance. Number five. I'm engaged actively in my local church. I guess, you know, you get sick and tired of pastors saying things like this because we've got an ulterior motive, obviously. We want to see our churches filled. But I think there's a very important biblical principle here at stake, and that is we, at best, can only survive on our own. We will never thrive except in community. We're made that way. We're made that way. We need to be in community. Right. And that community isn't going to be perfect, by the way. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. This time all my other verses have been from the New King James Version. This is from the Amplified Bible because I think it helps bring out the meaning of these important words. So starting from verse 23, let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day for Christ's return approaching. So for people who really think that the end of human history is nigh, and it may well be, I think, you know, I just can't imagine God letting this go on for much longer. Just the degree of apostasy in the church, in the world. That's right. That's true. How human humanity have really turned their back on God. And how persecution of Christians is now almost universal. 
but not to the same degree in Australia as in many other places. But Christians are being persecuted. Christians are being thrown in jail even in Australia. Pastors have been charged because they held church services. But I'm not God. <laughs> if I was God, I probably would have drawn the book to a close a while ago. Only God knows. But we need to be together to encourage us. We need to encourage one another to love. It is so easy to develop a hatred for those who persecute us and for those who wantonly insult God. It's very difficult for us to hate the sin, but not the sinner. It's not easy. It's not easy. But we've got to encourage one another to love, not to revenge. God will get his revenge in the end. And that should actually encourage us to evangelism, not sit back and say, well, it serves them right. Psalm 92, verses 13 to 14. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Yes. Flourish is my favourite word in the whole of the English language. <laughs> you know why? Because it actually speaks of a flower in full bloom when it's at its perfection. I've seen flowers, I've grown flowers like that. And um, you just look at them. They're kind of showing off. They're kind of saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's, that's, and that flourish, that word actually has that connotation of showing off, showing off and being attractive. I love that word. It's the most beautiful word in all of the English language. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Not flourish in the church, but flourish in the courts of our God. Now, I don't know whether many of you have done much reading on the courts of heaven. Anyone does? Yeah, okay. That's what we're talking about here. Maybe I should talk, teach on courts of heaven at some stage. Not an expert, an area in which I'm expert, but I have done some reading. And my good friend Suzette Torty has introduced me to thinking along those lines. Verse th uh, the next verse verse 14 says they shall still bear fruit in old age hallelujah That's right. Amen. hallelujah people say to me when did you become a pastor august 2020 how old were you 64 <laughs> started a new career started a, i am i've got 30 years of this i hope you have too <laughs> i might not be doing the same thing for the whole of that time but that's okay they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Wow. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? We need to be planted in a local church. Despite the fact that we'll be disappointed because not everybody will treat us right. It's inevitable that you won't always agree with your pastor. That's okay, by the way. That's okay. 
you'll probably get offended and hurt. But you will flourish because the word of God says you will. And to be planted really means to be engaged. Not just warming a seat every now and then. And if this isn't the local church for you, I do understand that. I'm not trying to drive anyone away, believe you me. Right? Because the one thing I hate now when I go anywhere is when someone says, well, how many people are in your church? I just say, I don't count. <laughs> oh, man, we pastors have got to stop asking that question anyway. But I tell you... <laughs> I say, well, I did a survey for ACC recently and I discovered we're a micro-church. <laughs> Officially, we're a micro-church. But anyway, we don't have to worry too much about that. But to be planted, it means to, it means to be engaged. Look, at, at the very least, it means coming. But I also think it actually means don't just listen. Take the word that is shared and wrestle. So not just about volunteering. I mean, that's we would need more volunteers, believe you me. You should see how hard your networks. We did have a fair bit of work this morning, didn't we? Because <laughs> a lot of things went wrong. A lot of things went wrong this morning. Um, but it's not just about the volunteering. It is about turning up. And it is really about engaging with the spiritual investment made by the leaders of the, the local church. Um, and I, I know, look, God spoke to me years ago. He said, listen, don't expect the anointing to be on the pastor out the front. Because sometimes it's just sheer hard work. In fact, the first book I ever read as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian was one by Kenneth W. Hagen. And that's one of the things he said. I've never forgotten that. He said, most of the time, your pastor has put blood, sweat and tears into the message. Don't expect that to be anointed. God spoke and he said, yeah, you want anointing on the word? You take it home and you wrestle with it and the anointing will come. And that's so true. You wrestle with that word. You pray about it. You check up all the scriptures. You do your own re research. The anointing will come, I guarantee you. The anointing will come. And you will change because you will have learned. Hallelujah. So I trust God. I diligently study his word. I pray fervently and boldly. I praise and worship him anyway. I'm engaged actively in my local church. All five together. It's all a menu from which you choose. Right? And it's not even all you can eat, it's all you must eat. Okay? Now, I don't want to leave you with a bunch of theory. I really don't. Um, and as I was preparing this, I came across an excellent book by John Eldridge. It's called Resilient. Um, I thoroughly recommend the book. I, I've just skimmed through it. I really need to study it in more detail. But it's a great resource for us Christians. It's a great resource to encourage us to be resilient. Now, the good thing about it is he's actually created an app to go with the book. And what I really want to 
urge you to do when you get home today, or if you haven't got time when you get home, sometime before you go to sleep tonight, download the app. It works on Android phones and also on um, iPhones. It's called the One Minute Pause app. And it's based on that book, plus one he wrote a little earlier, uh, Get Your Life Back. Uh, and it really, all it does, it's just got a couple of little teachings that run for five or six minutes twice a day. And then there's some little exercises for you to do as well. So something you could do, maybe first thing when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you do before you go to bed at night. I think this will help you a lot. I mean, it's one thing to hear what I've got to say, right? It's another thing, totally, to actually become a resilient Christian. I believe this will help. Now, this is free. The apps are free. You don't have to go buy the book. Um, I recommend the book, but you don't have to buy it. And I, I haven't listened to all, all of the material on the app at this point, so I'll be walking through it to some extent as well this week. But I really strongly, strongly recommend that you download the app and over the next little while work through the materials. If you're too busy to listen at the beginning and end of the day, just listen to one each day. I just want to finish with this as a quote from John Eldridge. Um, <laughs> certainly it stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Satan knows our destiny and he fears it. And he will do everything he can, everything he can, to stop us fulfilling our destiny. And if you want a good reason to become a resilient Christian, there it is. To deal with his long and brutal attack on your heart. And all of us will have stories to tell about the struggles we've had to remain resilient in the face of opposition which ultimately comes from the pit of hell. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Let's go and enjoy some community time. But just before we do, as you know, I believe in revival. There's going to be a revival. This place will be filled to overflowing Amen. with people. We won't be able to contain them here in all the churches. Amen on the Gold Coast and in Brisbane and on the sunny coast and everywhere else will not be able to contain the numbers. I remember years ago I had a vision. Churches just filled with people wanting a touch of God. Amen. And, and people like us who know God touch, touch, touch and they were just falling down, falling down under the power of the Holy Spirit as God deals with them and brings them to a place of healing. I don't believe that that was just a picture that I had because I'd eaten pizza the night before or anything like that. <laughs> it came from God. Yes, amen. It's going to happen. Amen. Every single one of us needs to be able to explain to someone who comes through these doors, someone you come across out there in the community, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, you need to be able to explain what they need to do to become a Christian, and there it is. That's right, amen. Confess with your lips.
that Jesus is Lord. Amen. That's it. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. 